Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson, Podcast Mike here, introducing today's guest. This is actually a bonus Wednesday edition of Willosophy uh, to coincide with the release of Will's new show tonight on the ABC at 8.30pm. It's called Question Everything and the guest on today's podcast is also a guest on the show tonight. It's comedian Luke Heggie. As I mentioned, you can catch Luke Heggie tonight on Will's brand new show, Question Everything, with Jan Fran as well. Uh, it's on 8.30 on ABC and iView. If you like Willosophy, you can support us, patreon.com slash Willosophy. For as little as a dollar a month, you get the episodes a day early and uh, ad-free as well. So we would love your support there. You can also go to tofop.com to check out all of our other uh, all of our other shows, including Tofop, Fofop, and Two Guys, One Cup, an AFL-adjacent podcast. You can also see Will's completely improvised stand-up shows coming up in October. Brisbane, Sunday the 3rd of October at the Brisbane Powerhouse, and Sydney, Sunday the 10th of October at the Enmore Theatre. Uh, but for now, I will pass over to this great chat with Will Anderson and Luke Heggie. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast and this is how the show starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? Uh, I'm just a bloke just trying to get by in this crazy mixed up world. (laughs) (laughs) So it's Chris Chris Franklin, the bloke. Oh no, not the bloke. I'm a bloke. Oh, not the bloke. You're just a bloke is what you're saying. I'm not not impinging on his copyright there. No way. Right, sorry. Yeah, sorry, guys. I, I was, uh, yeah, I'm not the bloke. I am just a bloke. Yes, one of many. Uh, so, Luke Heggie is your name, and you are a bloke trying to get by in this yeah. crazy old world. Oh, sorry, I didn't know you actually meant me just to say my name at the mm. top there. I, I didn't necessarily. I asked the question without agenda. I like to see what people say. Oh, okay. Because I've heard podcasts before and I assume you at the start go, you know, before I'm even on air, you sneakily go mm. back and go, this fucking bloke is about to be on. You're not going to believe it. This is his name and he's a dickhead, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, you introduce the guest. Yeah, absolutely. There will be that. Oh, okay. And there will also be <laughs> a picture of you, like done by James Fosdyke with quotes on it and your name will be in the episode d- description. So the idea of you having to actually identify yourself at the start of the podcast is not necessary. Okay. Well, you'd be surprised how few people know me. So, yeah, <laughs> probably is. We really want to reinforce it. Yeah. You've seen the picture. You've seen the episode. You've listened to the introduction. But I just want to confirm it one more time. Who yeah. the fuck are you? Okay. Well, I'm Luke <laughs> The question, I guess, is asked because I like to hear pe- how people describe themselves when they're asked that question, who, you- who are you? So a lot of people in that scenario go with their job. They will describe themselves through their job. But you didn't go with that at all. You really went with a completely different, you know. Was that a, when I asked you that question, was your response a joke response or do you think it was an accurate response to what you truly believe about who you are? Oh, just just trying to complete life, mate. That's 
That's it. Um, <laughs> Just trying to complete it. I think that, like, introducing yourself as your job, I mean, I change jobs all the time anyway, so uh-huh. I can't really do it. But, yeah, I mean, it's a huge part of your life, I suppose, but I don't want it to define who you are. It's crazy. It's more, more to it than that, I suppose. Yeah, so if you were going to look at the priorities that do define who you are, like, how would you rank them? Where would, like, job fall into a list that, you know, might include things like, you know, family and person and all those sort of various things that you might define yourself by? Oh, okay. Um, I don't know. I've never never consciously ranked any of it. Uh, that's, why I'm asking you, that's why I'm asking you this question on the spot, Luke. You can yeah, okay. just I mean, it's, give me um, your theory. It comes very high, I suppose. It takes up mm. an awful lot of time. Um, being a comedian, it's difficult. And... Uh, takes nearly every waking moment when you're not busy doing other stuff but um yeah i suppose i don't know man then comedian <laughs> I, I you see people's profiles and bios and stuff and they say it me and uh nick cody on our podcast talk about it a lot people have father husband ceo you know, blogger, you go, oh, it's it's nauseating to see them <laughs> in order of importance, their things. And they always put the ones that make them sound good at the top. Father first, husband second, yeah. then greedy bastard. Yeah, CEO, pilot. Yeah. You're like, you, really, you have buried the lead. You wanted to start with CEO and pilot, oh, but you've sure. just put husband and father because yeah. you know that's the right thing to do. I'd be an even better CEO if I didn't have this pesky fucking family in the world. That's what they want to say. <laughs> So comedian is an interesting one um, because, uh, you know, like, I mean, well, in that it is easy, like there's an entry level of comedian that is quite easy. Like, you know, there are um, people who've done one gig in their entire life who are suddenly, you know, calling themselves a comedian. There is no... Yeah. You know, there's no sort of verified on Twitter style no, <laughs> like the... ranking of what it means to be a comedian. When did you start you t- telling people that you were a comedian? Well, I, I still um, veer in and out of it. I'm back. Uh, I'm a builder's labourer at the moment. And I've, I mean, I even hate the term at the moment because my hopes and dreams are none of anybody's business. But um, like it's it's <laughs> it's something I don't I don't really... Someone asks you what you do on a plane or something, I never say comedian because it opens up a conversation that, you know, I don't want to fucking, yeah, it's to say something funny. You don't look funny to me. Never heard of you. There's all that. So I don't really say it. I just say I'm a labourer. All my forms say labourer. I'm not bullshitting. So um, to, to say myself I'm a comedian, maybe the last five years, I suppose. I don't know. But I'm still, I've never gotten through 12 months without having to work a day job. So I'm technically not a comedian yet. And so, I mean, well, I, I mean, we could have a deep and very boring for everybody else argument around that as an assessment. But um, I am interested in when you started doing comedy. So can you take me back to like when you decided you were going to give it a go? Where was your first gig? Um, my first gig, like a lot of people, I suppose, was in that raw comedy competition that uh, Triple J or Melbourne Comedy Festival run or both. Yeah, I don't know. In conjunction, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I just sort of, you know, jumped in, did that. I don't know. I don't so know. What, what made but me do what it. was it? What? Yeah. What did make you do it? Can you remember? Like, I mean, how old were you? Where were you at the time? Like, what makes you think? Oh, there's this national comedy competition, and I'm going to have a crack at it. 
I don't know. I hadn't even ever been to a gig. I'd not, I hadn't touched a microphone or anything. I was sort of, I don't know what made me do it. It's still stupid. Like I just, it's just another thing to do. I'd had probably 70 odd jobs by that stage and I just had never settled into anything. I didn't think, I, I thought I'd just do it and that's it. I was a classic, one of those annoying fucking bucket listers. Who, <laughs> you know, they clog up the market. And, uh, but I never, I, I just assumed it was everyone's first time and that'd be it. See you later. But um, it went went really well. And if it didn't, I wouldn't have done a second gig. Like I don't understand those lunatics um, who had a shit first one and go back for more. That's not me. Do you, do you remember what you talked about? Like, were you talking about like your current life, or was it like the sort of observations you're making about the world that are currently part of your act? Was the DNA of what you do now very apparent in that first gig, or was it very different to what you do now? Oh, it's very different. I was so I was shit myself. I was shaking, and you know, my wife turned up with about twelve people, and if they weren't there, I wouldn't have done it. I was just, I was going to walk out. I was like, oh no, I can't. They've all bought tickets to this. They're all sitting there. I can't just not do it. Be like hosting a barbecue or something, just sitting inside. So I thought, like, no, I've got to go out and do it. I've, I've, I was, I was doing one-liners then, yeah. as I did for about a year or more, because um, it's e- it's not easy, hard to write, but you don't have to commit to anything else on stage. So just did them. They were funny enough. Kept going. I don't know. Were you a fan of comedy at all? Had you grown up watching comedy? Like, was there a, no. a particular comedian that you had, you know, based your act on or your style on or any of those things? No, I didn't know. No. I didn't know anything. Like, I really didn't. <laughs> it was, I'd never even, I didn't even know club comedy existed. I had no idea. I thought it was like big names in theatres. That's it. I think that's what most Australians, oh, it's changing a bit, but most Australians would be of that ilk anyway. They wouldn't, they wouldn't know that there's this scene and then a sub scene and then a, a bunch of absolute fucking lunatics trying to get into the sub scene. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> there needs to be a cull, basically. It's too many of them. Oh uh, well, I think that perhaps, um, yeah. I mean, for good or for ill, I believe the pandemic might have had an inbuilt cult to it because there were obviously some people who were jobbing around the edges of comedy that I think the last eighteen months might have shaken some of them free from the industry i think whether that's a good or bad thing i think it's probably a reality yeah i mean it's very there's good and bad points to the inclusiveness of it but like you said before there's no barriers to entry literally none you need to be able to talk and even then sometimes not properly so you know (laughs) anyone can do it and it's i mean there is one of the great things is that anyone can do it and i guess one of the downsides is that anyone can do it but yeah I, but you know, I mean, if you went into any other job interview, like with the same approach you had to stand up comedy, which was, I don't know anything about this industry. I've got absolutely no idea about how it works. Well, anyway, could you let me go and do the exact same job as everybody else on the first day? Yeah. I mean, like, I've done that before, but you just got to yeah. lie. Uh, like, <laughs> that's the only other thing. Yeah, I can drive a forklift. What are you talking about? Just figure out the first five minutes. <laughs> How hard can it be? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever bluffed your way into some work situation where you then found out that perhaps you should not have bluffed, you, like you, that you were out of your depth? Oh, no, not massively. Like I've I've had so many jobs, but they've all been shit. 
I've ended up in office jobs and if you actually I, I was a lecturer at university briefly that was a bit beyond my pay grade um, what were you lecturing at university just first year subjects in business mm. marketing and advertising I went to uni and then I did a, an honours degree afterwards because I was really young didn't know what to do and during that I was I was about to start a PhD and all this sort of shit and I just took a job at uni good pay but just you know I was 21 and I'm you know I'm not I looked about 18 at that if that sort of thing and and standing in front of a big room of you know first year students I didn't really know what I was doing but you get I don't know deep end stuff you get used to it don't you uh was there like you how were you as a performer had you done public speaking and stuff previous to that like was it part of you growing up at high school did you do like your know, theater or debating or anything that got no. you used to standing in front of people talking no absolutely not I was terrible I was just I'm not a great public speaker still have some issues um <laughs> <laughs> I never liked it and I, I can sort of you know when people say oh, it's really brave what you do as a stand up it's really hard you go man nah I mean it's I can I can understand why they're saying that but it's not no one's going to kill you I, I've done gigs for like Middle East soldiers and stuff and they come and tell you how brave you are you go fucking hang on you know <laughs> <laughs> not going to die unless one of you lot goes mad which is a possibility, yeah, you know, yeah. is an active possibility. So um, it is. Why do you think that people are, because there is, you know, sometimes if you, if I'm really being brutally honest about my chosen profession, there is a great, you know, both something that I find really magical, but also something that I find incredibly hilarious about the fact that, you know, comedians just decide they're so good at doing something that everybody else does for free every day that yeah. people should pay them to do it. Like, I mean, my entire job, my entire skill set, I was asked to be a judge on Australia's Got Talent. And I was like, yeah, but what's my talent? Like, how can I judge other people with at least this guy juggling on a unicycle? Look at that. He's got a talent. Yeah. My talent is just like monetizing, not shutting up. That's literally my entire talent. Yeah. Like, but it's it's amazing, uh, like so many people want to do it, and especially young blokes want to get in and be famous stand-ups and stuff. But there's not proportionally, there's not that many. Most people are terrified of it, and would never do. It's a it's a weird one. It's very surreal, I think, especially just before coming on to your own show or a stage or something. I think this is fucking weird, isn't it? I'm just going to talk, and people are <laughs> shutting up and listening. It's crazy. It's, you know, I always what? find it at, um, at, at like, at, at, like I guess, tech runs at theatres. You know, you'll go to some theatre and they'll say, like, oh, you know, we've scheduled, like, you know, the tech run for, like, an hour between, you know, 6.30 and 7.30. We'll do all the lights and sound because they're used to, like, you know, putting in a play or some sort of rock show. Yeah. And you're like, oh, like, I play some music at the start. If you could flash some lights, that'd be good. Yeah. Then, basically, I'm just going to talk for 70 minutes. And yeah. if you could play some music and flash some lights at the end, that'd be good. Oh, to be honest, the show will work fine if you don't play the music and flash the lights. Yeah, I'm the same. I fucking hate tech runs. They go, I've got you. I've only got you for an hour and a half tech yeah. run. Will you be all right? What do you mean? I'm not coming. Just turn the mic on. You check if it works. That's it. I hate it. It's just such a, it's such a waste of my time. 
Well, you talk about being at this first gig and, you know, thinking I'm not even going to go on stage except that my wife and her friends are here and they've bought some tickets. Yeah. What is your mind you know, state now before you go on stage? You talked about the idea of thinking it's ridiculous. Is there still nerves there? Like, you know, walk me through the hour before. If you're doing like the Melbourne Comedy Festival and so you're doing a show, you know, six nights a week or whatever it is. Yeah. What's the hour before a show like for you? Oh, um, I'm generally running around to other gigs because while I'm down there, I take my bike down. I just, I just do five or six gigs a night if I can. I'm away from home, so I get the chance to do that. Just do what I can, warm-ups and, you know, little $50 jobs here and there, and they add up over a month. Um, yeah, just get busy. I just, I'm just, i sort of in a habit of not saying no to anything, but, I mean, before I got asked to do any of them, I was probably... I, used to, I mean, if I get a chance now, I'll go and sit in a just a shit pokey pub or something by myself and have a beer and read my notes or just sit there and think. And you never run into someone you don't want to. Mm. Like if you're in The Welcome Stranger or The Clocks <laughs> or something, you just never see. Unless, you've in, unless I've invited them there, they're not there. Yeah. <laughs> so you just get to sit by yourself and have a beer. It's quite nice. It's not nice. It smells like bleach, but, you know. <laughs> The good news is that the bleach is covering up something that would have smelled a lot worse. Yeah, though. Yeah. So when you're smelling the bleach, you've just got to be grateful that you're not smelling the blood or vomit or whatever oh, yeah. else it is. I try not to watch the people too much because your mind wanders to that. I'm trying to think of what I'm going to say in my show. I'll just get it in my head sort of thing. But there's a lot to see at a place like that. Sometimes you see someone eat a meal at the Welcome Stranger, which is, to me, incredible. <laughs> like ordering food at a place like that, unbelievable. Big Cuba cheesecake you, or something. You do want to go and have a chat to them about what brought them to that point, don't you? Like oh, that's yeah. like sometimes they go, "Oh, we're going to do a like Lord of the Rings prequel," and you're like, "Oh, for fuck's sake! I know enough about Lord of the Rings." But if you went, "I'm going to tell you what led this person to the point that they're ordering food at the Welcome Stranger," I'd be like, "I want to, I want to see that. Oh, yeah. I want to see the steps that came to this yeah. and what that decision making process was." I'm not asking them though. You get bashed. No. They're not oh, happy. No. People in the people that welcome stranger <laughs> eating, they're not going to be content with their life. I don't reckon. So when you are looking to get to put together a show, because you are somebody, and this is what I find you know particularly interesting about you. I don't think it is a completely uncommon experience, but for somebody who has you know kind of started to have the the, you know, the level of success that you've had as a comedian, you are still somebody who works. Um, you know, partly because I think, you know, you have a family and responsibilities and those sort of things I imagine is part of it. But you also feel like you're somebody who thinks that working, I don't know, what, gives you an insight into the world or is it just practical? I guess what I'm asking is, is the fact that you have other jobs literally just a practical necessity that you need to have other jobs to pay the bills and stuff or is there an element of you think it makes you a better or more interesting comedian to be out there in the world doing what normal people are doing? Well, I mean, it's it's sort of an aim to get to a point where I can pay the rent and everything with just comedy, but it's, it hasn't happened yet. It's quite hard. Um, but the byproduct of that is, as you say, that I'm not just sitting on my ass, staring at the wall with a blank page in front of me. I'm out there listening to builders say mad shit, and I'm yeah. <laughs> noting it down for later in my head. Um <laughs> So yeah, there is. I mean, if you do nothing, of course, all your jokes from then on are going to be about what a hotel was like. You know, met another performer. This is what he said. It's people don't give a shit about that after a while. 
little bits of it are fine, but I don't know. You don't want too much creeping into your set about this is what it's like to be a comedian, everyone, because it's a bit inside knowledge. No one gives a shit. So, yeah, being out working, it's, I hate it. It's fucking hard. I'm getting too old. But um, it's it does keep life a bit interesting. Plus, pandemic, we're, we're locked down, and we're four of us in a two-bedroom two apartment. It's just fucking nice to be out. <laughs> i'm sorry i don't want to leave i love you all i hate to leave but i've just got to go and work i'm doing it for you people don't ever forget you're the one person lobbying that the construction industry stays open you're like guys i don't care that they've shut down entertainment but keep the construction industry open yeah um but i also think like being busy is far more productive i've never like if I'm working full time labouring, and I was for many years, I've tried to drop back as comedy took over a bit more time. But um, you you don't write any more jokes if you've got twenty four hours a day than if you've got one hour a day. Like you just you can't tell me a comedian sitting there from nine to five writing doesn't work. It's it's you know I don't know. I just assume. Well, what, what, is, what is your method? I think you're right, by the way. I think that, you know, they, there's an old, you know, kind of like one of those old boring cliche sayings, which is if you want a job done right, give it to a busy person. And I think that there is an element of truth to that when it comes to comedy is that, you oh, know, yeah. you can probably get it all done in an hour or you can stretch it out over eight hours if you've got eight hours to fill. Like it'll expand to fill the amount of time that you have. Yeah. I mean, other things in like comedy... Um, adjacent take a lot of time like your podcasting and stuff as you know it takes ages that's so much fucking work I've I've only been doing that since the pandemic started and it's been good and it's good fun and everything but geez it takes a lot of time to organise that and to research and all that shit for what is no reward basically financially but it's good fun and it's it's sort of it does bring people in but um I don't know the method for for writing is don't have one really just do it just do the job. okay so that's interesting to me because i like you have a i think a compellingly unique take like you have a good clear voice you seem to have like a perspective that is very much your own um did that develop naturally is it basically based on what your worldview is in general or was there a real sense of i am developing this comedic persona that is separate to who, who i am as a person oh no i think it's it's the same but um as time goes on i suppose i'll just uh on stage just have a it's not it's not boredom at all but it's it's just a, i want to say some shit that's just really horrible Sometimes I'm not like that <laughs> in my personal life, but you just think, oh, fuck off it. People telling me what to say, you know, get this up, yeah. It's going to be even worse now that you did that. It's a contrary in nature that a lot of comedians have, I suppose, that you just think, ah, oh, don't fucking tell me what to say. I'm going to f- say something even worse now that you did that. So that is interesting to me because I think. If there is one thing, like I think as I've got older, I've got better at controlling the worst aspects of my personality. But if you want me to do something, 
tell me that I can't do it. And if you want me to say something, tell me that I can't say it. They are still the things that for whatever fucking reason, if you said to me, you can't say that, all you've guaranteed is I'm going to go out there and fucking say that and double oh, down on it, you know? Yeah, for sure. And yeah. like, I, I suppose um, I'm saying more and more things that are probably indefensible if you want to pick it apart. But I was always fairly meticulous to make sure that, no, if, you, if you're going to try and get me as people are doing more and more, then uh, make sure you transcribe exactly what I said and then print that or whatever you're going to do. Print it out and have a read yourself. If you can find something wrong, you're fucking wrong. But now I just think, oh, no, even that's out the window now. Just say what I want. If, if, um, if as an audience member you don't get that a lot of comedians, they're the absolute worst version of themselves when they're on stage, then that's your fucking problem. Like, just grow up. Don't, right. you know. I don't know. But on the other hand, also, like, people sometimes inadvertently, I assume they don't have YouTube, wander into a comedian's show like mine and then hate it. You think, well, if I hated something, I wouldn't sit there for an hour and listen to it either. I'd walk out. So I don't care that they do that. But I'm, I don't know. There's a lot of elements to it. I'm, I'm disappointed that they've paid money because ultimately I'm still a servant and they're supposed to enjoy themselves if they've, you know, fork out 25 odd dollars they've i think there's a difference though like here's what i would say like i think the essential difference would be if you go to a restaurant that serves the sort of food that you like you know you research and you go i love thai food and this place makes thai food and then you go along and the thai food's no good then okay sure you've disappointed them as a restaurant you should be making good thai food but if you're like i like indian food i don't really like thai food and you just wander into a restaurant and they're serving Thai food that's kind of on you a bit as well yeah it is like, and that's a lot know. of people's take on the comedy mm. thing too like well they should have looked into you fuck them yeah. but then uh, at a certain level and of comedy a lot of us are still saying geez I wish people would just take a punt on someone they've never heard of that'd be better <laughs> than just going to that fucking TV bastard all the time it'd be nice if they spread themselves out and went to some of us lowies I mean, the TV bastards have got bills to pay as well, mate. So let's not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, let's spread it out, but let's not make decisions between the two. Buy two tickets, guys. Go and see a TV bastard and someone who's not on the TV. (laughs) (laughs) Come to my show. I'll recommend some people at the end you can also go and see. But come to my show first. Yeah, I'll mispronounce them and stuff, so fuck them, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> Luke Hedgie, you can yeah. go and see him. Yeah. Uh, okay, so interesting topic and maybe one that you can not talk about or talk about. I don't know how you'll feel, what your level of comfort around this will be. I'm going to say um, what I think first and you can respond to it in any way that you want to respond to it. Okay. So uh, during the Melbourne Comedy Festival this year, the internationals couldn't come out to the festival. And some of the tally people didn't do shows because of the nature of the pandemic or whatever, right? Yeah. And then suddenly there was a whole you know, group of people, particularly when you look at you know, the awards, which you were nominated for, but like not just the awards, the shows that were doing well at the festival, getting good audiences, good, getting good time slots, getting good reviews. My argument would be that as a festival, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, no longer needs to pay for internationals to come out to the festival because 
what they ordinarily do is they pay for them to come out and therefore they have to give them good slots. They have to get reviewers into their shows. They get a spot on all the big shows, the galas and whatever. And it hurts that next level of Australian comedy. It doesn't hurt people like me and, you know, the the theatre acts. It doesn't hurt us. Yeah. But what it hurts is the level of comedy you're talking about, which is that take a punt on someone. Oh, yeah. What, that, that comedy fan who's like, oh, well, I'm going to go and see this British act or this Irish act because the festival brought them out. This year in Melbourne went and saw you or yeah. went and saw Nikki Britton or went and saw Michelle Brazier or whatever. And you saw this entire generation of comedians who've been good for ages, who were doing these really good shows, suddenly get all this recognition and audience for those shows. Um, I personally think that the Melbourne Comedy Festival should stop paying for international acts to come out. You may not, that might not be a thing that you need to get into, but tell me about what that experience was like of at least having some clean air to get people to your show. Oh, great, man. I've always thought they shouldn't be paying these people to go on a junket. No, I could go overseas to any festival or country. No one's rolling out the red carpet and putting me in a fucking hotel and, you know, coaxing audiences to come and see me and paying me a flat rate and all that shit. I think it's it's sort of... I don't know how it started that, but... um. It's something well, that... I think it started, I mean, originally, because I remember, I mean, I the festival, when I first started doing the festival, was like five years old, right? And even then, the local comedians did have a problem with the internationals coming out because people d- don't realise this now. But back in the day, the only people who would sell big tickets were international acts. The idea that an Australian act would sell more than like 150 or 200 tickets a night was like just unheard of. It yeah. just never happened. And... As the festival grew, obviously the local acts have grown as well and, you know, have capacity to play big theatres and stuff now. But um, at the start, there was definitely some resistance to the international acts. But the argument was always, well, here's a style of comedian, whether it be a big female comedian or maybe a person with a disability or whatever, that you're not seeing in the Australian scene. We're importing it so that locals can see this, see that there's other styles of comedy be introduced to those. But you couldn't argue now that there is a style of comedy that isn't represented on the Australian comedy scene that you have to import from somewhere else. Well, at least I would argue that there isn't. Oh, absolutely. I think, like, yeah, it's a, it's a point from the start when you put it like that, but now, absolutely not. We're just getting hordes of these fucking Cambridge graduates with their floppy hair just telling us what Australian animals are like. We go, yeah, I fucking know, mate. Like... <laughs> It's, it's, I don't know. That's, and they're. I don't blame them. They're on a great no. wicket. They get, they get sort of recruited from somewhere and brought out here on my dime, and uh, just given a free run. But I'm, I'm sort of hoping this this year was a bit of a circuit breaker for that, in terms of audiences thinking, hang on, Australians aren't shit because traditionally, this is not only my experience. Australians have got a real. I mean, we all love sport and are very, very proud of our sports people. When it comes to the arts, there's a real I could fucking do that sort of mentality or obviously an American's better than an Australian when it comes to comedy or anything in the arts. So there's a real inferiority complex when it comes to that. And I would hope that the people they were forced to go and watch this year may have um, brought them out of that a little bit, but maybe not. Maybe they go straight back to the to the usuals next year. I don't know. But that's why I think that, I mean, again, 
the part of the reason that I want to talk about this is I think it's the responsibility of the bigger name acts to lobby on behalf of those who are really affected by this. And I, I, I don't think that it's like international shouldn't be able to come out, but they should just be able to come out the same way as anyone else comes out. I mean, Daniel Sloss came out as an indiv- wasn't brought out by the festival, yeah. was brought out by a promoter, sold the most tickets at the festival. We're not saying you know, lock the borders and build a wall around the joint. We're just saying don't use a whole bunch of the festival's money to literally compete against Australian comedians at our biggest festival. Oh, for sure. It should be the other way around. The money should be going to local acts to give them the best slots and introduce them. It's Melbourne's festival. It's Australia's festival. It should support Melbourne acts and Australian acts way before it looks at international acts. Absolutely. Yeah, and if they're they're good, they'll build a little audience and keep coming back. Like if any of our acts want to go to Edinburgh, Mm. they're going to lose a fucking lot of money first few years if they want to do that. And you're on your own, totally. The middlemen are taken care of. But as an artist, you're fucked going over there. And that's that's your problem. Probably a decade later, you might be able to make a decent bit of coin off it. But, you know, that's It doesn't not... stop people from going, though, does it? Like, I mean, that's the whole point. Like, it's... if people want to go, they'll still go. Yeah. Mad, the mad ones do. Oh, that's... Yeah. <laughs> That to me is that's incredible. Like when someone suggests it, to, like first few years, it got suggested to me. Like, oh, you should go to Edinburgh. Right. What for? I've already been. I went on the back of that raw thing. I went. Yeah. Fucking hell. Oh, it's, oh, it's, uh, unbelievable. Like that you can. I went and I stayed for the month and um, just did the opening spot for the Nelson Twins, and we had a great time. Top blokes, twenty three hours a day, excellent time. The show, fucked. Like could, couldn't have been worse. I couldn't have been hated more. Like they hated the boys, but they hated me more. It was so bad. And I just, I came back and didn't do a gig for months. I thought, oh, that's it. I'm not, not doing this again. So I'd only done the raw thing. I thought, oh, this is sick. You know, yeah. comedy store, full. Everyone's laughing. That's what comedy's like. This is how you do it. I'm probably the best in the world. And uh, went over there, horrible. But people volunteering to do that year after year, I don't know what it is. That's a it's masochist shit. Yeah, it is one of those things where, like, I mean, I've only done it three times and it's always actually gone quite well for me. Like, I mean, it. I, I've been had, had lucky runs in Edinburgh, never lost any money even the first time I went over. And uh, um, But that said, I've only been over three times in, like, 25 years and people ask me all the time and i'm like well i've just always had something else that seemed like a better idea which just meant something else if you oh, have yeah. any other option yeah. like if i ever got to a point where that month was completely free and i had no other options absolutely i would go back yeah. but if there's one better option you're like will this thing that i'm going to do for this month not make me cry 15 times yeah i've, I've been asked again recently like last few years uh, you get approached. I don't know. I don't know how they even know who I am. But pe- people yeah. approaching. Oh, look, we've got a, a room or a venue. Love for you to come and do a spot. Uh, you get a really good deal. You go, okay, what's the deal? Oh, you know, this is a venue guarantee, and you pay this much money. Oh, well, that's not a fucking deal. Just ask any old <laughs> lunatic to do it. They will. Like you're not paying for me to go there. You're not putting me up. You're not paying me. It's it's still all my risk. That's not a fucking deal. Leave me alone. And I'll just go and work on a building site and probably, you know, come out with 10 times the money. Not, not that I make good money, but I don't lose any. I don't go to work to lose money. It's crazy. 
<laughs> well, and to have people hate you. Well, no, yeah. Okay. To, to lose money while being hated yeah. publicly. I need to get paid for, for that. For a thing, thing that normally gives you joy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get me wrong. My dignity is for sale. It's just not, it's not free, and I'm certainly not yeah. paying for having bits of it fucking ripped off me. So I remember first year I, I did a solo show in Australia. I went to Adelaide. I went for a week, and I lost a 1000 bucks. And I thought, oh, that's it. So I never went back. I got back two years ago. I, you know, my manager and a few other people go, oh, you should go to Adelaide. I go, fuck off, I lost a thousand. That city owes me a thousand bucks. I'm not going back ever. Piss off. And I just never went. And uh, back a couple of years ago, and it's all right. But, you know, it takes me ages to get over that. That's the only time I lost money at a festival. And I don't want to do it again. Well, I think people don't understand this as well. Like, I mean, I was talking to. Um, somebody recently about the idea of the privilege of knowing that you have an audience for a start, which is like when I sit down to write a show for the comedy festival, it's a bit easier than a whole bunch of other people writing a show because at least I know people will see it. Like, you know, some people are writing the show hoping that people will come and see it, but not knowing that people yeah. will come and see it. And then the idea of what happened with the pandemic was that, you know, You've got some people who've not just spent all that time coming up with a show, but have spent five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand $10,000 of their own money to do all the publicity, all the marketing, put up some posters, whatever it is that the costs are, you know, getting yeah. a venue, all these sort of things. And then for that to go away, like it's an incredibly difficult thing and there is absolutely no level of support for people who are in that boat, like literally nothing. No. Like the government didn't offer anything. The industry doesn't have a safety net no. to offer anything. Even the festival <laughs> itself. I mean, I know they cut some of the venue costs and stuff for the festival this year, but there isn't even that inbuilt thing where, hey, we're going to save all this money on not bringing the international acts out. You know what we're going to do? Find all those people who lost all that money last year and fucking give them five grand each, which yeah, is what yeah. I, I would have loved to see them do. But, you know, there is such a huge risk involved in going to an Adelaide and, like not like working for a week and like losing a thousand dollars. That's what. Yeah, <laughs> that was huge to me. I, right, I couldn't believe it. I thought I've let everyone down here. I just I got to go home and tell everyone. Yeah, that uh, I'm Vegemite on toast. I've lost a thousand dollars. I have these pocket full of magic beans, oh. but I do not have our cow anymore. Yeah, it's um. I don't know. It's a weird one. It's, a, it's all a supply and demand thing because there's so many people want to be comedians that you, know, you can treat them however the fuck you want, really. And given that that's the paradigm, you, you know, we get better treatment than you could. It could be way worse. They could just spit on you if they want. People would still front up and do gigs. <laughs> That's such a depressing and real observation. Oh, <laughs> That's the worst awful. thing. Like I wouldn't. I'd be in lots mm. of fights. But like most yeah. ambitious young comedians, they'd do anything to do a gig. And it's it's quite sad really, isn't it? Um, I don't know. Some of us just need to make a living off it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I ask people on this show, Luke, if they have a life philosophy of any kind. Um, do you have a life philosophy? Um, oh, this is where, oh, this is what I was afraid of. You know, as a comedian, you get caught mm. saying something earnest and then, you know, you're fucked. That's the, oh, this would be probably the most popular thing I'll ever do, being on your podcast. Mm. I'm going to have one of those cartoons with me saying, live, laugh, love, get out of, <laughs> get out of your comfort zone, everyone. 
follow your dreams. Just like I imagine that little cat with like, you know, that's like the hang in there, but it's yeah, just yeah. someone's photoshopped your head yeah. onto the cat's head. <laughs> and it says, Luke Heggie says, hang in there. Um, I don't know. For maybe f- uh, try to outlive your parents, not your kids. Um, you know, do what you want. Tell tell more people to get fucked. Only uh, you know the deserving ones, I suppose. And, uh, I don't know. I've, I've never never had a distinct philosophy. Tell tell more people to get fucked is interesting to me. So, um, it, what do you mean by that? Let's um, unpack that one a little bit more because in my relationship, like you know, Amy, my partner, who you've met, is she's the more likely to tell someone to get fucked. Yeah, I think externally people would think oh yeah will seems like the sort of person who like professionally i have no problem telling people to get fucked yeah like you know and part of my act is certainly telling people to get fucked particular people but in real life i am not a get fucked sort of person amy is definitely in our relationship the more get fucked person so i I want to explore what you mean by tell more people to get fucked really neither am i i'm very polite and i've i've you know fairly big on respect and i i don't (laughs) I don't go around telling everyone to get fucked. I walk around with my two fingers up in public <laughs> doing that. I, I'm, I probably mean more professionally. Just, yeah. just be, people taking advantage of you and, and not of of everyone. Like, um, just not putting up with the shit. Like it takes years for that. If you don't, if you don't start standing up, then you're always going to get walked on. You're always going to get. You know, told that it's cool to lose a thousand bucks, and that's how it is. And just, I suppose, not accepting it is how it is. And just, I don't know. As a, I'm not talking about doing greater good. Just individually, just going, no, I'm not doing that. Fuck off. I don't want to do it. And um, I'm like, oh, I've, I've sold my dignity before. I've done corporate gigs and stuff, but I just, more, more that sort of, you know, specific thing. Just saying, no, I'm not doing that fuck off like, I, I would like do... to think that you haven't sold your dignity I think that you've rented out your dignity for the night oh man yeah well I don't do auditions anymore for example mm-hmm. I'm just not doing it I've, I feel like a kid that they're trying to ridicule and then and casting agents have got a quota and they've got to go look we interviewed 200 people guess what we're going the model that we already thought we were going to have <laughs> good but in the meantime I've taken half a day yeah. off work because some prick said, do you want $200,000 to be in an ad? I'm like, fucking oath I do. And I go in there and just get made a fool of again. <laughs> so I now sometimes, people go, oh, do you want to do an audition? It's between you and one other guy and it's one day's work and you can make $10,000. I go, well, good. Give it to me or the other guy then. I'm not fucking auditioning. Like, I don't care. I'll go and work for 10 weeks but I'm not going and sitting in front of a room full of pricks who are going to tell me I'm just, you're not even good enough to be average Aussie guy because that's what your role was. That sort of shit. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. I've More and more things like that I'm just not doing. I um, So when I went to America, I really went to America to do stand-up. You know, my big dream of going over there was that I would just suddenly be able to play, you know, do stand-up five nights a week in a place where nobody knew who I was so I could work on my act. I could, like, you know, genuinely, you know, just kind of work on being a good stand-up. But, of course, you're in L.A. and your agents want you to suddenly go for auditions. And I've never acted in Australia. There would have been opportunities for me to act if I had wanted to, 
Like, I've got yeah. no interest in it at all. But you're in this new place and people are telling you, you know, you think, oh, well, I probably should do what they're advising me. And like, so I went out to a couple of auditions for things and could not be more on the same page as you. Like, I remember being in this one where the director was the guy who directed this quite good documentary called The King of Kong, which is about people playing like, you know, Donkey Kong. Oh, yeah, Kong. I loved it. Yeah, good documentary, yeah. right? Like, yeah. good movie. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And then this dude did not even get off his phone for the entire time I'm doing my... Like, you know, literally he's just looking at his phone, sending text messages as I'm, like, doing yeah. this thing that I'm not... And now I can't even watch his fucking movie. Now I'm like, fuck that yeah, guy. Right. Fuck everything about yeah. you. You Like, not only did you yeah. ruin my day, but you ruined <laughs> the fact that I actually quite liked your fucking movie before I came into this. Yeah. I, there's an element of that too where I, I feel the same way about acting actors and, and, and big names, like a weatherman or something, taking the side door to get into stand-up. And, I, you know, if Grant Daniel did a stand-up tour, he'd sell more tickets in a year than I could for my entire life. And an element of me thinks, oh, well, good on him, but also, fuck off. <laughs> this is, like, we've, we work so hard. So why, why ask a stand-up comedian to do acting? There are millions of actors. Get them. A lot of them are really good. Right. Just look harder at them. Like, I can't stand that. So what is your ideal? Like, if, if there was a magic wand, if somebody came to you, Luke, and they just said, what is it that you want to do? We're like, we're from show business. Uh, we've all had a meeting. We've decided that um, we'd like you to be a big part of show business. Uh, so here's yeah. this uh, blank check and this open opportunity. Uh, what part of show business would you like to carve out for yourself? Like, what's your ideal magic wand scenario? Oh, Live stand-up comedy yeah. and nothing else. Yeah. Fucking leave and me alone. And nothing else. Nothing yeah. else. Stop asking me to go and f- fucking go to a shopping centre and, and, you know, d- like adding extra shit to stand-up as well. I even object to that. Like, what oh, do you mean? Stand-up. Well, we're going to have a stand-up night, but also uh, you've got to do you've got to say this word in your set and then you know, you're going to get gonged off and you've got to do someone else's joke and you've got to take your hat off and stand on it. Like, Fuck off, it's hard enough anyway. Like it's, I don't find it that easy that I need to add extra shit to it. Then we're going to have a punch-up at the end, whoever's joke was the best. You know, we're going to punch you in the face. It, fucking leave me alone. It's Just let me do it. I don't know. I'd, I don't, so that's entry-level shit that you get asked to do. But beyond that, it's like, oh, do you want to do this i don't know a tv thing where you you just just shit i don't want to do so man there's such little respect for stand-up comedy that you can't become one unless you do all this other shit i don't want to give out icy cold cans of coke on the radio in the morning no i mean i'm shit at it anyway but i don't even that's not my aim just to get more people to stand up like it's I, i don't know it's hard enough without all that shit. Because, well, it is hard enough without all that shit, but you've certainly identified one of the issues. Because I'm, I'm like you. Like, I mean, I'm a stand-up first, always have been. Would love to have grown up in a country where I hadn't had to do other things other than stand-up. Because yeah. I know for a start, I'd just be a much better stand-up if I could concentrate on it all the time and I wasn't doing all these other things to get people to come and see me do stand-up. I was like, if I yeah. had to concentrate less on getting you to come to see it, I'd be heaps better at it. That's the, yeah, And it sure. is like a devil's bargain because you're like, well, now there's heaps of people coming to see it, but I'm nowhere near as good at it as if I would be if I was concentrating on actually just getting oh, good at it all the time. Absolutely. It terrifies me. Even doing a podcast, to me, 
that's that scares me that it takes time away from doing live stand up but it's just so so low profit being a live stand up act and i can't pull in much of a bigger audience than i already have and i can't they're not they don't seem to have any fucking friends my audience it's the same <laughs> it's the same sort of same amount of people coming each year for the last 3 or 4 years across all the festivals like this is stagnated. It's, you people are losers. Mate, the people yeah. who love you, love you. Unfortunately, yeah. they are unlovable. They have no friends. They have no social yeah. groups. And that's that's the problem. Like it's, Yeah, it's, they're great. I, I don't disrespect my audience. They've been really supportive. And some of them come every year and it's great. But bring some fucking friends, will you? That is, some of them do, actually. I get the odd message saying, oh... You know, me and my wife, big fans, whatever. We brought all our friends. They fucking hated it. They're not coming back. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> so if somebody is to not like what you do, do you have a sense of what it is that they don't respond to? Uh, well, generally it's... Um, I, I think it's a... It's not a style thing or a... It's it's content. It's it's um I had a show go out from a few years ago, go out on channel ten recently mm-hmm. and some people were really upset. Like I wouldn't think to, you know, write to someone and say, I didn't like you but people do that. Obviously it's it's an accessible thing to do now to someone you see as a public figure, you say what you fucking want, but it's complaint driven mine. It's not this is shit or it's it's amateurish or whatever. I, I don't think it's more. He said something about the exact type of person that I am. I don't agree. I'm fucking leaving, or I'm going to yell at him, or something. So is it, it is there a particular thing like from this like? Cause so the Channel Ten thing's a good example, right? So let's talk about that because it's a show from a, a while ago. You know, you've probably got some distance on that. I I, I understand what it is. There's one set of mine where I must have made some joke about vegans and the thing is my joke wouldn't have even been that bad about vegans because my only joke really about vegans is that because i'm a 20-year vegetarian and like i have this joke yeah. about not being a vegan because like my parents are dairy farmers and i've already disappointed them enough like that's like right. that's pretty much the extent of me like you know making fun of vegans in my world but yeah. there's yeah. must be some line or something that occasionally goes around on something and then you just wake up and I've got like a whole bunch of messages or it's been posted on some page for like angry vegans to you know complain about who are we complaining about this week or whatever. Was there, yeah. is there one particular touchstone, one particular group of people that this Channel 10 special seemed to outrage? Um, every year there's something where, particularly Melbourne, I'll get walkouts and I kind of, to a point now where it's, it's always my favourite part of the like coincidentally it's not i'm going to write this and people are going to fucking walk out on it not at all i don't want them to but it's it's something and i put it sort of towards the end so at least i've had seen most of the show yeah um but i don't i don't want people to be disappointed in the channel 10 one but now it's a variety of things because i just covered heaps of topics it was god i didn't bang on about god i don't give a shit but like it was some were upset about god some were upset about me Promoting bullying, um, you know, bashing nerds, that sort of thing. Um, I don't know, the rudeness. Don't need to swear that much, do you? All that. Sort of, I don't know. Just 
there was nothing that everyone jumped on. And like not enough people watched it for it to be a, a landslide Twitter event or anything. But um, certainly, like probably a couple of dozen whinges from that. I'm interested in um, swearing as a topic because, you know, I'm somebody who swears a lot, in my, particularly in my live work, and it is something that just some particular members of society have an issue with swearing, and that's fine. You're allowed to have an issue with swearing. If you don't like swearing, that is absolutely fine. Um, the idea that you then write to me and tell me that I swear too much is like, look, yeah. you know, that's probably... You've wasted your well, own time writing the letter or, like, writing the yeah. email. That's all that I mean, is. I'm, I'm, I'm the same. If you don't like swearing, that's fine, but usually... The, the unfortunate part is what they think is that swearing comes with an evil personality or something. But what is a oh, crushing majority of these cases are someone who'll say, like even before a gig in, a, in like a country regional gig or something, they'll be the kind of person, not always, but often will be um, someone will say, look, you can do anything, but you just what you can't do is swear. And then I'll turn to a woman and go, I told you to wait in the car. Um, and just tell them this bloke about not swearing. And they go... That's that's way worse than me yeah. saying fuck a few times. But that's not their... I don't know. Everyone's got their own little scruples, don't they? I mean, it's always interesting to me when people go, well, you know, I saw you on television and you don't swear as much on television. And I'm like, yeah, did you notice there was also like Todd and Russell weren't there and we weren't talking about advertising? Like there was a whole bunch of differences to when I'm on television. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think like the complaining thing has become so... I've got a complaints tab on my website now oh. just because... I'm sick of people fucking sending unsolicited, you know, free complaints. So I started charging a buck and you can fill out a form on my website. And I don't, I don't read it. I don't care. But it's a multi-choice thing and people can just say what they hate and why. And, you know, it's, it's I'm just sick of it. I, I, I don't think it's, and it's not something that I have a thin skin about. I don't care. Sometimes it's quite funny, but I don't respond. And I think it's, it's objectionable that people think it's fair to do that but to someone. But is that not like a broader societal issue? Isn't this the idea that we have like been trained now by society that our voice is, it's the Yelp culture or the, you know, the review culture that your voice is, these companies have been telling us that our voice is important to them. Please leave a yeah. comment, rate it out of five. Like to the point now where it's become this cliche of itself where if you hire a car or something, you're just like, oh great, I'm gonna get emails and like phone messages from this company for the next three weeks because I'm now I have to like, you know, fill out a survey. I have to rank oh, yeah. their customer service. Like, you know, like it's a real, I'm like, I'd rather just like get an Uber so that I don't, oh no, I have to rank them as well. I have to give them a star yeah, rating yeah. at the end. Yeah, I mean, I say that about complaints. I've like, I'd get as many nice yeah. emails and messages as well. It's not, not everyone's nasty, but the nasty ones, I just think, like, I'm I'm compile, I'm doing some pie charts and stuff from my uh, multi-choice complaints form, which is quite funny. But some people are not, like artists in particular. I don't think people realise that they can be quite fragile, and and it's, it's not the complaint itself that, the words of it that offend me. What offends me is the principle that they think they can really fucking abuse me or any artist, and some of them have a much, much more sensitive nature to that, and they fucking think about it all the time. Some of them want to hurt themselves or give up or, you know, at, even worse. Do, do, you know, I don't think the public have a, um, a proper grip on how affecting it is to some people and how sensitive these people are, and there's a, 
there's an overwhelming element of, well, you're in the public eye, fuck you, take your medicine. But um, it's not always like that. And also that idea of what the public eye is. I mean, you know, perhaps, oh. I, I mean, I do understand the point that it, once you get to a certain level, like, and people are paying a certain amount of money and investing in your career and all those sort of things, there is some capacity for being able to, you know, give feedback. I am I am absolutely fine with that. But like you said, sometimes you're giving that feedback to somebody who just lost $1,000 in Adelaide is worrying yeah. where they're going to pay their rent or, like, you know, pay for their food yeah. and stuff. And you're like, this is just not another bit of feedback that I really needed, mate. Yeah. I had, some people complain to whoever they think your boss is as well, like just trying to get you in trouble. Like they'll write to a festival or your manager or something. You go, man, I'm a builder's labourer who does comedy. You can't cancel me. Good luck, fuckhead. It's not going to happen. What do you think the biggest misconception about you is? Uh, If there is one. Maybe there isn't, but if if you had to have a guess at answering that question, what would you think that people think about you that might not actually be true? May maybe that I'm a bit dumb or dull, or I don't know. I have a fairly uh, way of talking that doesn't indicate that I read much, or I'm not sure what it is. But I do get uh, people are surprised sometimes that I've read a fucking book or I've. I've own a few dictionaries or so it's probably that it's probably like you know fucking what you you went to you went to university a fucking dumb prick like you 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 know there's a little bit of that i don't think i I don't know that'd be if i had to point one out i don't know what's in people's minds but that's probably the one i think that's i mean that's a good area i think that's actually a pretty good a pretty good one because you know, like you're talking about the idea that you have a university degree, you did honours at university, you're, you know, thinking about, you know, like maybe, you know, doing a PhD that you've lectured at university. This is, I think that there's still, you know, we talk about class in Australia and I was raised with the bullshit idea yeah. that there was no such thing as class in Australia. Like obviously as an adult, I realised how ridiculous a concept that is. But like there is still a real, like you don't, speak like somebody that people associate with like you know reading books and going to university and those sort of things and to me that comes back a lot of the time to class that we judge people by the way that they look or the way that they sound or the way that they express themselves and we make for sure and based based around your earnings as well and the house you live in all that sort of stuff is the class system it's it's huge here yeah i think i'm not sure there's like in comedy, there's a lot of people who come from a university background, and I, I was geared up to be an academic, but then I went travelling and never went back to it. And then I just, I would probably, I've gone backwards in a big way in that respect in terms of class. And now I'm solid working class, but I don't have those roots. And I could probably be classed as a bit of a fraud in that respect. But I'm not outwardly going out and saying I'm the bloke or I'm, you know, I don't wear singlets and. I'm a bloke. Just a bloke. I believe you clearly said a bloke, not the bloke. Yeah, but I don't. I don't market myself as anything. No. I don't. You know, I get called in reviews and stuff. Oh, this blue collar pub comic. Like in comedy, there's probably a misconception that if you in any way have any form of uh, manly characteristics, you're a tough prick who goes out and bashes people, and you know you can fucking weld stuff. And you know, hang on, just because I'm not. A computer game player um, doesn't mean I've just came from prison. 
as you know there's not a lot of alpha men i suppose in comedy and i'm not one but i've i would i'd be moved up that end because i'm well, yes, a fucking i was going to say that's right in comedy you're an alpha yeah doesn't mean that more broadly in the rest of the world you would consider yourself an alpha but in the comedy community absolutely 100% you're an alpha yeah i know but that's that's mad to me yeah i could walk out my front door and get bashed easy i get <laughs> So when you're on a like when you're working as a labourer, when you're working on like a site, where, where do you fit into that community? Uh, I I work on very small sites. There's a, there's a bloke who's been so good to me over the last ten years, just giving me work spasmodically. When because I just say, hey, I need a month off. I'm going to Melbourne. Then I come back to work, and it's worked great. So it's really very small crew I ever work with, and they've been great. And he's he's like a you know real supporter of mine. And the arts in general is fucking top bloke, and not the, not the stereotypical builder, at all. So I've been very lucky in that respect. But I have in the past worked on sites, and it's it's like prison, but getting paid. It's awful, and everyone's a prick, and it's it's you know bosses are assholes because they just everyone they assume everyone's stupid. Just shut your mouth and do the job, that sort of thing. But now the one I've worked for, I, I, it's been so good. We chat and laugh all day. It's really good. It's our fitting. Well, and he's a, he's a legitimate patron of the arts too, clearly. Like, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. Like one of the greatest gifts that you could give any sort of like performer is a flexible job, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like it's almost what every emerging performer is looking for is like, can I find a job where they will be cool to hire me when I need the money to come in, but they're cool that I can take a month off and go to the Melbourne Comedy Festival or whatever. That's almost what you need, right? Oh, man, it's incredible. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Stopping short of telly sales, which seems to be a popular one that comedians do because you can come and go from it, but that would break me mentally. I just, no way. I'd prefer to lift heavy stuff for the rest of my life until I'm dead than try to sell something on the phone. So some things you just can't do, but... um. It's been a really good one for that. So in in that um, sort of world, I've, I'm treated as an equal, and it's it's great. But I'm very very aware of how lucky I am to be working for someone who does that, rather than someone who talks down to me and calls me an idiot because I don't know everything about carpentry. Uh, when you're on stage, what is it that you're trying to achieve? Is it about the the jokes in the moment is a bit about fine tuning routines is it about being able to you know like control like an audience's momentum for an hour what particular aspects of performing are appealing to you and what is it that you're working on when you're on stage um just making the words in the right order better i, I write a lot and i have next to no performance skills so i don't I don't yell or or do anything that you know I don't even move so um I've got to make sure the words are all good and if they're not I'm fucked and even if they are sometimes I'm fucked so <laughs> it's just improving every time on that and when you're at an arts festival you should have like I should have my show pretty well ready to go first night but it's just I just want to change one little thing every night and just get it better and get it to a point where I can uh, record it each year, which I have been doing. Do you um, have um, like a a, a a method for compiling a show? So, like this is oversimplification, but I often talk about the idea that like to 
to do a 60 minute show there's kind of like the the bucket and the slab of marble approach which is like the bucket is like here's 60 minutes is a 60 minute bucket i'm just going to keep coming up with things and i'm going to chuck them in the bucket and eventually i'll have 60 minutes worth of material and that's my show or there's the michelangelo the sculpture's already in the bit of marble i just need to get need to know which bits to get rid of and it'll emerge from the the middle of it like are you a bucket guy or a slab of marble guy oh definitely a bucket yeah and i have to go and work a lot so this is next year i'm going to be a bit rusty i think because this is exactly the time of year i'd be out doing i mean all year i'm out doing six seven nights a week um out in sydney clubs and just compiling more shit going out doing free shows probably four of those nights and just you know new five minutes here new 10 minutes there and just working on it i don't have a secret i just have to do the work I'd never, I'd never be regarded a genius. So I've just got to do the bloody. I mean, work. I think most geniuses still do most of the work as well, right? Like, I mean, I think it's such a. Well, yeah. I, the, even like when people talk about geniuses in any arena, it's rare. <laughs> yeah. That, you know what I mean? Like, you, like it's even at the Olympics or whatever. They go, "This person's a genius." I'm like, "Yeah, but he didn't just like walk in off the street and just do this. He's literally yeah. been training for five years or like fifteen years or whatever for this moment." Like, yeah. I think the parameters of the word genius have changed quite a lot too. It gets bandied about a fair bit and it's Yeah, we've lowered the bar for what when, a genius is. Oh, fuck yeah. I, um, yeah, you can do nearly anything to be a genius. Just turn up with an unannounced chocolate bar at home and someone will call you a fucking genius. Hang on. I just stopped at the shop on the way home on a whim. So, like the lack of performing at the moment, you're in Sydney. It's a Sydney lockdown. You know, it's a, and it look. There's, you know, if you've, you know, read a paper and looked at what happens, you know, around Australia and around the world, it looks like it's going to be going for a, you know, a while longer as well. Like it doesn't seem to, you yeah. know, I don't think it's going to restrictions on live gigs and getting out and about and doing that sort of work that you would normally do. There is going to be a break before you get to do that again. Do you feel like that that will sure. that will change? You know what your show will become for the next year? Uh, yeah, it definitely is going to have a negative effect for me because I, I you can write all you want, but until you're out doing it, it doesn't matter. Like I don't, I've hardly got any new material anyway. I've got a bunch of ideas, but I haven't worked any. I haven't written it properly, and there's no motivation to do that until I can go out but even if I did write my 10,000 words and get it all ready it's going to be shit unless I can do a couple of hundred gigs before uh, debuting a new hour I suppose so I'm sort of if I can't gig till the end of the year I'm not going to do a show next year it'd just be it'd just be shit I'm not going to put out a second rate one for, for me and for the poor people who come And along. so you don't think that you could accelerate the process? Like, is there a capacity for the process being accelerated, being able to do it over a period, a shorter period of months rather than the time you would ordinarily take with it? Uh, I, I don't know. It's untested for me. I, I doubt it. I don't think I could get away with uh, doing less hours on it. I don't know. I mean, I could rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it and spend more time doing that maybe but it's not going to be good i think in, if i am going to do one and i can't do gigs till december or january this year this year coming uh i'm just gonna have to do two gigs a night if i can or I, i'm not sure 
I don't know how I'll do it or if I will. Okay, so that's interesting to me. And you mentioned before 10,000 words. I am interested if you know mm. that that's your number or not because some comedians, so I know some, like a show, if I'm going to do a 70-minute show, it normally on paper is about eight and a half thousand words. That's my, that's my number for a 70 minute show. So if it's getting up towards yeah. 10 or 11,000 words, that's probably like a 90 minute show for me, the way that I perform and whatever. So I know my from on paper yeah. to like on stage sort of numbers. Do you know that number when you threw out 10,000 before? Is that, is that your sort of hour? Like if you've got 10,000 words on the page, that's kind of be, going to be an hour? Yes. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't no. work to that. But yeah, I've I've actually uh, transcribed my last five shows because uh, my wife's an illustrator and we're making a book of you know well fuck I don't know if we are but we're working on it um, and she, her drawings look great and I've just sort of transcribed my shows and it's gonna you know it reads fairly well I've I've taken out all the ums and ahs and all that sort of shit obviously but um, yeah they they come in at about nine and a half to ten and a half thousand so. That's the pace I go at, but I don't have to pause for laughs like you. <laughs> I just, I've, a lot less people are there, and I bank on getting no fucking laughs. So, so my show can go anywhere from sort of fifty-four to sixty-two yeah. minutes, depending if people. Well, like the it other or thing not. that you're taking out of account for me, though, Luke, is the fact that I can have written something that's fifteen words, but it'll take me forty-five words to say it. So, oh, so right, sometimes, yeah. sometimes I can really circle around a sentence or an idea before I yeah. get to the fucking point. Yeah, I don't really, I don't have the balls to do that. I don't know. It might have got to be all the words in the right order, ready to go in my head. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Mate, I have some standard questions I ask people on this show. Uh, right. I'll start with this one and see how you go with this and see where we go from this. Uh, what do you think happens when we die? Uh, nothing. Like literally nothing, it's gone. You know, just sort of, you know, yeah, just change form, turn into dirt. I don't know. I don't have a. I don't have a spirituality or a or a god. So, yeah. was there ever any sort of spirituality or religion or whatever in your life? Were you raised with a religion? I, I went to Catholic schools, hmm. but it was uh, sort of they were just considered a good education school. My family weren't religious, but um. I went to Catholic schools right on the tail end of, you know, education by violence. So maybe it got beaten out of me. I just didn't believe it. I'm like, hang on, why is this, why is this nun putting a fucking shoe up my bum? I'm only eight. You know, did God tell her to do that? I don't know. I, I didn't, I, I, I certainly didn't uh, continue with any godliness after I left school. Um, is there any journey for meaning in your life? Like is meaning something that is important to you like the meaning of life why we're here is that something that you think about or consider no not at all mm. i just cruise through try not to get too far ahead or think too far back and i'm not like a lunatic who's just you know i've got getting through life like a goldfish mm. what's that oh next thing what's that <laughs> i do think a lot but yeah no not about that i don't i don't know it's pointless can't control it but I mean, what you're really describing, like in a very practical sense, is what so many people are, you know, trying to get to at the moment, which is like living in the moment. That's what that is. If you're not living too much in the past and not living too much in the future, you're trying to live your life in the moment. 
Yeah, but not the moment, not this micro moment, like yeah. you know, this one hour or this two seconds sort of thing. I've got to, I've got to think what I've got to make for dinner. That sort of <laughs> shit. I'm not that much in the moment, but I don't think too far to the future. Like I'm not looking to amass assets or just trying to be happy. Did you always it. think that you were going to have a family? Like, was that something that uh, you have a family? And did you always think that you were going to have a family? Uh, no. Like, I don't think... Um, my lifestyle didn't really lend itself to that. I went travelling uh, as soon as I left university and didn't really come back for 10 years. So I just thought I'd just be wandering around in a pair of thongs the rest of my life. But um, no, I, d I didn't think about it until we did it really wasn't a plan um tell me about the traveling because i mean obviously one of the big things that you know COVID has changed is our capacity to travel like i mean you obviously did a lot of it previously it was travel one of those things that like did you miss traveling during like COVID and during the lockdown is that something that has disappeared you know from your life and that you have some aching to resume well to be honest, traveling disappeared from our lives as soon as we had kids. Because unless you're fairly wealthy, I don't think you can take four people on an overseas trip. Like we go to France um, every few years, but we stay with my in-laws and you know, and don't spend much money, sort of thing. I think I'm glad I did it all when I was young. There's only one person. I, <clears throat> I did it on a budget, and a lot of it was on a push bike as well, so it was very cheap. Um, my only travel now is for gigs. That's primarily in Australia. So I do miss doing that because I can't really work outside of New South Wales now. And now not even that. But um, oh yeah, I miss it. Like a few things when you have kids, they bring heaps to your life. But I miss reading and travel a lot. And I just hope I'm not, uh, I'm sort of fit enough and healthy enough to go traveling again once they've left home. But I don't fucking leave home till about 30 now, so who knows? <laughs> I mean, how will you cope with that if that is the case? Because I come from, I always, I've, I've said this a million times on this podcast, but my parents had this very, I love my parents, but their attitude was very much that you love your kids enough that they don't want to leave home before they finish school and you don't love them so much that they want to stay at home after they finish school. That was their real attitude. It was oh. like, you know, like in my family, it was never a conversation other than as soon as you finish school, you are out of here. Whatever, we don't, university, job, whatever, yeah. but the clear understanding is you are now an adult and it is your business what you're doing with your life. Oh, when my youngest turns 18, I'm changing the fucking locks. No. Yeah. <laughs> I need some time back. I, I just sort of, yeah, I think it's good for kids. I think they get very comfortable staying at home. And I, like I was... I had no money throughout university and, and young life, just you know doing shit jobs and stuff. But I was out of home doing it, and it's yeah, you got to oh, you got to go and flat with with grubs and and live a bit of life, learn how to fend for yourself. It's not gone at all, but it's certainly a thing uh, in a lot of our classes in Australia where it's just permitted to stay at home till you're thirty. Just stay till you got a house deposit. Oh no, just. You know, put the renters in there and stay until it's paid off. You've never fucking leave. You've got to go and live. Um, so tell me about your initial travel. So you, you finish university and you decide you're going to go traveling. Like, had it always been an ambition of yours? Like, often with travel, you know, they say you've got to know what you're running to or what you're running from. Were you running from anything or were you just running to? Uh, I never consciously ran to or from anything. Maybe from 
responsibility or growing up, but um, I used up a few of those work visas, like your Canada, your, um, your UK, Ireland, all those, and, and just after that, I was just on a push bike. I went through South America, New Zealand, and France on a bike, and I don't know, I just wanted to keep moving. So I suppose subconsciously, maybe the inevitable of having to stop made me want to do more throughout my twenties. But I don't know. I didn't. I didn't consciously go. No, I got to get away from Brisbane or whatever. It's, you know, it's just something I did. It was fun. Did you have a favourite adventure? Like, is there one that stands out in your mind of going? Well, that's the one that I, you know, like it was all worth it, particularly for that one. Uh no. I th- there were a lot of really good good adventures i had some great trips the ones on my own probably stand out a bit more because i've i've always um just enjoyed my own company and traveling and i went to tasmania for a couple of months on a bike that was brilliant same in new zealand and and uh yeah i don't know though i don't really have one that's like that's the one it's great it was all pretty good well i like the but i like the observation of the being by yourself so what is it about being by yourself that you know you're being comfortable in your own you know sort of company like what is that what is that feeling what is it that about like where does that come from what is that i don't know i think i've always been like that i I think a lot of people are probably like that and once you have more and more commitments piled on you miss that like i don't have much time to myself at all now i go out on my bike a bit and gives me time to think I don't put on music in my ears or anything, just cruise. But that's very limited time. I used to go and do that for months. I'd like not talk to anyone for three weeks, that sort of thing. So I don't, I don't know what, what makes me do that or makes anyone do that, but you need to get out. I think some people would find that terrifying. You know, the idea of not being surrounded by people, the idea of being not just on their own, but they would see that as being alone did you ever feel alone did you ever feel lonely in that time uh no never lonely but i got lost a few times and that was more scary than lonely i was if anything think oh thank goodness i haven't you know it's only me i'm not going to kill someone else as well so did you think was there yeah was there a couple of times where you literally thought oh this this could end me this i've made a bad decision here this could like i am in real trouble i did um that was sort of just out of my depth, young dickhead, young man dickhead thing. Just wandered off into the mountains once and just got lost. Didn't tell anyone I was going. Just that's like when you, when it happens, you're like, oh, fucking done. I'm that idiot on the news <laughs> yeah. that we all just yeah. go, what a fuckhead. Right. Didn't take a Why flint. didn't he tell people he was yeah. going? Why didn't he take his yeah, trip? That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. I try not to look down. Like, it's so easy to yeah. do. I try not to look down on young men doing stupid shit see I've, I've done that i've fucking climbed stuff before where i could have died I've, I've wandered off by myself i've done all that and you know fuck i fortunately didn't end it by doing it but yeah it's, it happens heaps what's the uh, best or worst either is fine but what's the best or worst bit of advice that you've ever got oh um don't move a ladder while you're on it <laughs> <laughs> pretty good I mean I, since, having said that since I've been told that I'm like no I can yeah. fucking do that and I've, I've yeah. <laughs> can't tell me what to with, do yeah with mixed results admittedly <laughs> when it comes off you're like nah man 
fuck you. I did it. I needed yeah. to go over there. I didn't even have to yeah. get down and move it. I've done it. But, you know. And when it doesn't come off, you're like, no, nope, that was a fair point you were making. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. We're almost done, mate. We're almost done. But I got three more questions. So uh, the first one is, um, you, if you didn't have to do your 10,000 hours to get good at something, you just woke up tomorrow and you had a skill, any skill, mm. um, what would you love, what skill would you love to wake up with? Oh, um, I mean, you know, obviously probably stand up comedian, but, um, I don't know, further than that, maybe something with my hands, I'd be a good, you know, good woodworker, but you're more intricate stuff because I'm a bit sloppy, clumsy. But uh, just to be some some of that stuff, you can watch anything on YouTube now. You watch these guys making stuff. And fuck, that is impressive. That's more artistic than anything you or I could ever say. And uh, yeah, something along those lines, I suppose. I like that. Um, I have on my desk uh, somewhere. I mean, I don't. You could just believe me. I wouldn't have to pick it up. But here it is. Um, it's a little piece of like you know heavy metal of some kind, mm-hmm. um, and it, it has on it the my, the. The closest to my version of a, you know, cat on the wall, hang in there, motivational yeah. saying, it says on it, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? And the way that I interpret that is always just, if I'm going into a project, it's just really to remind me, don't put this project together, like going, hey, we'll get this person on because then it will be successful. Imagine that the thing is successful already, that's guaranteed. And then what do you want it to look like? If it's already successful, who do you want on it? What do you want it to be about? Like, what is it? Like, whatever it is. That's, so that's what it means to me. But it certainly does not need to mean that to you. But I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, Luke Heggie, what would you attempt to do if you knew you could not fail? Well, doesn't that change everything, though? Like, if you can't fail, then what are you doing? Like, that's, that's the only... I'm not tempted by failure. I fucking hate it. But if it's not an option then what is it that you what is it you're doing something too easy well i certainly think with stand up in particular if you ever said i'd be like if you said i'm just a great stand up oh, okay. without the risk of failure yeah. i absolutely agree with you like you would take away the very thing that makes stand up impressive is it's almost like I saw somebody tweet the other day about the Olympics that before each Olympic event, they should just get some ordinary person out of the crowd to try to do the thing because it yeah. would just put in context how actually hard the thing is. And yeah. I think sometimes it should be the same with stand-up. Just yeah, before right. a stand-up comes on, just get some ordinary person to try to do it for yeah. five minutes just so you can go, I know this stand-up's making it look easy, but it's not actually that easy. But yeah. on that, I mean, that car, I'd probably... Yeah. I'd probably tell the most outwardly, um, outlandishly racist, sexist, bigoted joke, but make it so good that everyone's got to laugh anyway. Right. And not just a one line. <laughs> I'm talking a whole, like yeah. a whole bit that's just like, so yeah. fucking horrible. But even, even right. the idiots get it. I have that, to go. Yeah. Okay. That's, he's yeah. nailed that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, final question, mate. I have a time machine. I do not have a time machine for legal reasons, but I have a time machine. If you were offered a trip on a time machine, firstly, would you go forward or backwards in time, do you think? Uh, probably backwards. Okay. So you can go to any point in history. You can go to any point in your own life. You can completely ignore yourself. I don't care. There are no rules 
or parameters based on my time machine trip other than that it is a return trip. I'd like you to come back and return the machine. So, Luke Heggie, where would you like to go on a time machine? Oh, man. I'd probably... I'd probably get born like 100 years earlier and just somehow befriend Shackleton and go to Antarctica with him. That'd be sick. Like true adventure. There's not much of them left. There's nothing. Like, you know, we talk about space, but that's for your Bezos types. Mm. But this was like proper, you know, adventure. That'd be great. Good answer. Hey, mate, um, what can we plug? Can we plug your specials? And, well, that's what we call them now, your albums, your DVDs, your specials. <laughs> special. I, I noticed that we've started going with specials now. Special. I don't like special. It used to be an insult, didn't it? Right. Yeah. It's a, <laughs> it's a bit special. Yeah. It's a bit it's special, like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I've, got, I've got a website with all that shit. Oh, I've got a product, actually, myself and... Um, this is our pivot. Mm-hmm. Uh, myself and fellow Sydney comedian Dave Schmidt have got a product called Fort Jocks on the market. It's it's a beach security device where it's a, it's a pair of undies with a pocket on the front for your valuables, and inside it's got skid marks printed on it, so no one's going to steal your stuff. You just put it on the beach, no one touches it. So um, <laughs> they're available at lukeheggie.com and fortjocks.com. But I've also got a, a podcast with Nick Cody called Midflight Brawl which is, yeah, it's going pretty well. Get amongst that. It, it's all about uh, incidents. Uh, well, I mean, the name probably gives you an insight into it, but for yeah. those that don't know, airline incidents. Yeah. We actually, I mean, we've, we don't have guests on it, but if you're up for it in the future, we'd love to have you as a live guest because... I mean, as a you know, person who's had a my mid-flight own... mid-flight brawler, yeah. Mid-flight brawl, so... Yeah. <laughs> and we're not just having any old dickhead on there. It's got to be no. someone who's been involved. Yeah, yeah for sure. Me, the Veronicas, Will well, I Am. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know anyone else personally who we can just get on the show and insult, but... Um, oh, yeah, I'm up for that. I'm yeah, absolutely great. fine for that. <laughs> hey, mate, thanks very much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me.